Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. We are looking at the readings for the third Sunday of Advent, and today we're looking at our epistle reading, which comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. Paul gives eight seemingly simple commands to the early church in Thessalonica. The first command is celebration. The church is told to rejoice always, verse 16. We rejoice because of what Christ has done. Often people hear Paul's commands to rejoice, which we see elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Philippians 4, 4, and wonder why Paul thinks he can command people to be joyful. <laughs> After all, we think of joy as a feeling, and it seems quite oppressive to tell people how they ought to feel. However, Paul has in mind public celebrations or feasts as the church celebrates regularly. So if we think about it that way, rejoicing refers not to a feeling, but to a public celebration, an outward celebration. It is therefore rightly connected to prayer and giving thanks. Athanasius writes, for what after all is the feast, but continual worship of God, recognition of godliness and unceasing prayer, all done from the heart in full agreement with one another. I think about this poem in the Jewish tradition called Dayenu. It's often associated with the Jewish holiday of Passover, and Dayenu means approximately, it would have been enough. This is a poem that is often sung liturgically, and it recounts many of the things God has done for his people throughout history, and declares that even if God had only done that thing, it would have been enough. For example, if he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through it on dry land, it would have been enough for us. The poem has 15 stanzas, which recount freedom from slavery, the miracles, and being with God. This idea of it would have been enough, or of giving thanks, is so critical for all people of faith. We are a people who consistently give thanks, even in times when we do not have what we need or desire in the present moment. God has already been incredibly generous to us. Then Paul says to pray continually or pray without ceasing, verse 17. Does that mean we're to be in a constant state of prayer? Well, even the strictest pietists of Judaism did not pray all day. Instead, they prayed regularly and faithfully. I think it makes sense to think of this in the context of a relationship with God. If prayer is seen only as an obligation or a duty, this sounds like an insurmountable obstacle. Rather, the call to pray without ceasing is this calling to be continually mindful of God, to remember one's interconnection with God. Surely that requires rituals of prayer, regular times of prayer in life, but that's not all that it is. It is, of course, impossible for one to engage in the physical aspects of prayer without ceasing. You can't constantly be moving your lips or kneeling or something like that, but it is possible for the community to continue in prayer. Especially as we think of the church throughout the world, we are a community which prays without ceasing. The church is also told to give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. Gratitude seems to be at the heart of what it means to be human. 
When we give thanks, we are becoming more of who we were created to be. The church is then told a couple things about the Holy Spirit. Do not quench, verse 19, and do not despise the words of the prophets, verse 20. In the church, new things are necessary. Even as we are a church dependent on the past, we are also oriented towards God's future. The calling is not just to rest on the ways things have always been done. We are to listen for God's voice in our midst. Now notice that this assumes we are able to do such a thing. (laughs) So the Spirit's presence with us in our midst is not possession like that of a demon or something. We are invited to participate in the Spirit's in the spirit with our own free will and the spirit's work with our own free will. So therefore, somehow we are able to quench the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that the spirit is under our control, but somehow we are participants in the spirit's work by grace. The last three commands are about serious moral decisions. The church is to test everything. Now, at the time, some religious cults practiced ecstatic inspiration. So Paul warns the Thessalonians not to confuse their inspiration with that of paganism. You can see how this is linked with not despising the prophets. So listen to what the Spirit has to say and listen to the prophets who are in your midst. But make sure that that's distinguished from the kind of inspiration of paganism that's all around you. Cling tight to what is good, verse 21. So sort all this stuff out, test all this stuff out, and then cling on to the good things. I'm reminded of the Fellowship of the Ring when Frodo Baggins recalls something his older cousin Bilbo used to say. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. (laughs) You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. The church then, after testing everything, is told to back off from everything that even looks evil. Verse 22. Paul then prays that God himself, the God of peace, would sanctify them through and through, verse 23. It is God who does the sanctifying. It is God who makes holy. This is not something we achieve through moral grit or even through more acts of compassion. It is the work of the Spirit that produces holiness. When Paul prays over the church, he prays that, quote, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of Paul's contemporaries divided a person into multiple neat categories. So you might be spirit, soul, and body or whatever. And Paul uses some of that language of the day, but he's not advocating for a neat division of parts of a person. Spirit, soul, and body are ways for Paul of saying the whole person, every part being kept blameless, the whole of who you are. This is a holistic faith. And finally, we are given the promise He who calls you is faithful and will accomplish it. Verse 24. All eight of these things are things that you would do if you were seeking to live God's future world here and now. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.